Well, good morning. Welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to see you today. Can we welcome all of our campuses, Appleton Campus, Brookfield Campus, Milwaukee Campus, Germantown, online. Wherever you are joining us from today, we are delighted that you're here with us and that you're all here. And uh, I'm at the Germantown campus looking at some pretty, man, you guys really got dressed up today. It looks good today. No, it's kind of quiet. Is everybody still, still a little bit? They need a couple more drinks of coffee or something like that. Well, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. And... Um, I'm going to get there in just a second, but I want to just, this has been kind of a subject matter that's, I'm really going to try to rein in and, and hold tight to, to, to some notes today because I don't want to meander. I have a tendency to be kind of have adult ADD. I was like, there's a bird, there's a squirrel. I, I can go in those directions. But uh, legacy, I don't know if you think a lot about legacy or what you think of legacy. When I say legacy, maybe that feels really old and ancient to you. Tammy and I were talking about this yesterday. You know, we're both coming into the, that 50-plus era of our life. And uh, somebody asked me the other day if I could get an AARP card, and I about punched them in the mouth because uh, I did qualify. And, um, you know, in my 20s, I didn't think a whole lot. In my 20s, it was just it was, life was a great adventure, right? Let's just try this, you know. Famous lad's words of, of any redneck is here, hold my beer, right? Just like let's just to see what happens, right? In your 30s, you start, you take on kind of the mortgage and the SUV. Your life kind of feels a bit like a country song. And so you just kind of begin to take this on. You've got kids, you've got life, you've got things that are happening. In your 40s, you're just, you're kind of coming into your own. And, and, but they say something that happens, especially for people that are high octane, uh, kind of want to change the world, is that you go from success to really looking for significance uh, about that late 40s, early 50s. Where it's really not about you, it's about what's going to be left behind. What's the so what? You, you've given your life to something. So what? I don't know if you think a lot about that, but I want you to think a little bit about that today. Because it's kind of what I want to talk about for a few minutes. Because the early church thought about this. The early church, all of these men and women that comprise the early church, that first century New Testament church, post the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus... They thought about this in terms of what will we leave behind? What are we doing today that makes a difference for eternity? See, there's only two things, only two things that are eternal in this world. God's word and people. That's it. So when you really get down to it, there's only two things that really matter when this world is all said and done. When our 80 plus years or whatever we're given on this life is, is over. It's people and God's word. It's really pretty simple. I know the world wants you to make it. It's a lot about success and, and, and a lot about accolades and, and certain, certain, you know, academic achievements or, or corporate achievements or financial achievements or, or whatever it may be. But the truth of the matter is it really boils down to when we stand before God, it's going to be about people and about his word. John writes about this in 1 John chapter 3. Verse 16, 17, 18. If you don't have a Bible, it's going to be on the screen for you. But here's what he says. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, that we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed 
and in action. So as a church, our legacy is never about buildings. It's never about organizational structures. It's never about great preaching. Don't say amen to that. It's never about dynamic worship or particular ministry. Our legacy should be that of love. And not a conditional world that, uh, love that the world gives. The world talks about love. They, they paint murals about love. They, 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 they have print merch about love. But at the end of the day, their love is conditional. If you believe what I believe, if you accept what I accept, if you're okay with whatever truth is my truth, then I love you. That's conditional love. But the Bible says that the love of God is unconditional, which means it's infinite. It has no beginning. It has no ending. It has no bounds. It's boundless love. That's the reason why when Jesus Christ comes into your heart and into my heart and our lives, he changes us. He sets us free because we've never experienced unconditional love because you and I, I'm sorry, we conditionally love people. We have a tendency to, with our own biases and prejudices that are just baked into our own human, sinful, base nature, if you like this and you're nice and you're kind and you're good, then I'll love you. But if you're not, I don't really. But God's love, the love that Jesus puts in our heart that allows us to love other people, it's not something that we come up with. It's something only he gave. It's that kind of love that can change the world. That's what I want to talk to you about, this legacy of love and how it changes the world. Now, I want to tell you about a man today, true story. His name is J.W. Tucker. Now, J.W. Tucker is a man that I heard about all my life growing up. He was born in Russellville, Arkansas, November 15th, 1915. Now, he and I didn't go to high school together, right? I'm not that old. But J.W. went on to graduate from Southwestern University, which is where we've got probably almost a dozen staff members that graduated from SAGU. Our life leadership college is connected with Southwestern. That's where our graduates come from. He married the love of his life, Angeline. And they felt called to the mission field. They felt called to go to Africa, specifically to the Congo. So in 1939, they departed for their first term as missionaries. They preached in villages. They established churches. They taught in Bible schools. They trained workers. If you talk to missionaries or you read about missionaries from this particular era of time, this is, there was no air conditioning. Most of the time they would go there on boats to get there, so it was quite the journey to get there. Everything they had, they owned, was in a container or just the luggage that they carried with them. They were dropped off in very remote places. This is before the, 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 the popularization of, of, of small aircraft and, and be able to fly in on fields. This was, it was very rugged. It was giving your life. The Tuckers served year after year faithfully for 25 years in the Congo on the mission field, raising three children, giving of their life. Can you imagine? And in 1964, beginning of their fifth term, they were going to go back to the Congo. They were, had been home for what's called a furlough, a break where they would raise funds, talk with churches, go back to their supporters that had helped them. But the Congo was growing increasingly more violent. It was being known for attacks, for murders, very hostile. The hostility was growing and many people tried to convince JW not to go back to the Congo. I wanna give you his response. It was recorded in a missions publication. And he said this quote, just how long we can continue our work here, speaking in the Congo, is a question that can't be answered. 
What we have is the present. God help us to work while it is yet day. So he, his wife, and his three children go back to the Congo because God called. Less than one week returning, he, his wife, his children, and other missionaries alongside them were captured by rebels. They were cut off from any type of communication. They were placed under house arrest. And when the Belgian and the American troops got involved, the rebels began beating, torturing, and killing the captives. And J.W. was moved with among, a, among a group of European and American uh, who were being held in a Catholic mission. So he would write. He wrote, his wife wrote this. They, they took Jay, not only because he was an American, but because he was a missionary. And although isolated from friends and from families, his letters showed little concern for himself, but just more about his family and his Christian testimony. One of his writings, while he was in captivity in this short amount of time, said, do keep praying that I can be a blessing to the people here. Even though there is not much chance to testify openly, I do have a chance to drop a word now and then for him, speaking of Jesus. May he bless and use even the smallest effort. In another letter he wrote, it is so wonderful to know that our times are in his hands. I really need nothing more for the present except the assurance of his presence. I don't know, just to be really honest with you, if my wife and my children were under house arrest and I was moved with a group of individuals knowing that they are torturing and beating and hearing that those would be the words that I would write. How do you do that? How can someone do that? The love of God. The love that John talked about. See, J.W. Tucker was killed by the rebels on Thanksgiving Day, November 24th, 1964. It still gets me. I've been working on this message. I've been working on this message. I'm trying not to, but it just, the fact that someone is willing to die for their faith. Wow. It was one day before the paratroopers would arrive in Paulus, the small city in, in the Congo where he would live to rescue the rest of the captives. It was reported that the beating took 45 minutes. It was brutal and vicious. J.W. was the first and the only Assemblies of God foreign missionary ever to be killed for the sake of the gospel. And some people would say, what a sad story. What a tragic waste of life. He never accomplished all that God put in his heart to do. But I would contend that J.W. was 100% successful because he was 100% obedient. He followed the call of God, period, no question. There's two lessons that I just want to draw from today that John talks about when we look at the life of J.W. And we just kind of think about this for a moment. We think about legacy. First is that love sees the need. True unconditional of God the Father, that type of love in us sees a need. Go back to verse 17 of 1 John. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet he closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? This means that when I'm enjoying the blessings of my life here in America and I see a need somewhere like the Congo and I'm not touched by that need, that's not love. Love is what allows me to see the need. Love is what allows me to hear the cries of the lost. Love is what moves my heart to compassion. That's what John says. It's not me. I'm selfish, full of myself, all about I, me, and my. Just like the great theologian 
um, country music star Toby Keith would say, right? Want to talk about me? That's just you, me, that's how we're wired. But when God's love comes into our heart, comes into our life, it changes us. When was the last time your heart broke because of something that you saw? Was it a missions trip to Haiti or Kenya or India? Was it seeing the, the disaster in Uvalde, Texas? What, when was the last time that your heart was moved with compassion because you saw something that you wanted to help someone? See, love sees a need and is heartbroken by the need, but it doesn't stop there. This is where our world stops. They see it and they go, wow, so sorry. But what, what happens is that love responds in action. Love responds in actions. There are many times I think, well, I'm, I'm making a sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. I'm gonna serve and I'm gonna give some of my time in order to serve. I'm, I'm gonna go on a missions trip. I'm, I'm gonna write a, a big check for, for missions for greater. I, I'm going to, I, I'm, you know, maybe like I moved my family. Tammy and I did uh, 10 hours away, a couple of states away from where we were from. And so that means that I'm not gonna be home for Christmas. We haven't been home for Christmas in 20 years because this is, this is home. This is where God called us. This is what he called us to do. And so, so th this is where we are. We, I'm never, I I haven't been home in, in 20 years for an Easter in 20 years and sat at my mother's table. Oh, would I love to do that? Would I love for a Sunday lunch to be able to go to my in-laws or to my, to my parents' house? That doesn't happen very often, but that's okay because people go, well, that's just sacrifice. That's not sacrifice. That's inconvenience. Woo, don't shout me down when I'm preaching good because we think, well, I'm just sacrificing for the sake of the kingdom. No, no. What we see with J.W. Tucker's life is sacrifice. Sacrifice is seeing someone in need and doing whatever it takes to help them. He saw that there was a problem in the Congo. He had friends that warned him, but he knew the call of God had not lifted and God gave him a grace to go. And so he went. 1 John 3, 18 says, little children, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. Let your let your actions, let your actions speak forth the love of your heart and the truth of your heart. You see the word, the key word here is deed. It's not enough just to have pity on someone. True love responds. And that's exactly what J.W. Tucker did. I, I want to stop right here. This is not a part of the message. But I just want to say, maybe today, whether you're watching online, whether you're at a campus, wherever you may be, you feel called into full-time ministry, vocational ministry. You hear a story like J.W. Tucker. You may be 13. You may be 19. You may be 25. You may be 50. I don't know. But inside of your heart, it goes, yes, I want to change the world. That's me. That's what I want to do. And you go, but, but Aaron, you're talking about giving of your life. I, I understand that. And, and trust me, I don't want to give my life. There's too many restaurants to eat at. There's too many golf courses to play. Can I get a witness? Right? I mean, there's right, too many lakes I want to float in a pontoon on. But, but, but there's something inside of me that says there's more to this world than just me consuming and living and doing. I have a calling. There is something that God's put on me. And, and the reason why I say this is because as a kid growing up in Arkansas, Russellville was about an hour away from that town I grew up in in Fort Smith and I remember hearing this story I remember at camp hearing about this call and every time that's why it gets me emotional I hear it it does something to me because I'm that kid that went if God if you can use me I'll go if you can use me I'll go I don't really want to go to Africa but okay 
You understand? And so if that's you today, what I want to say to you is don't suppress that. Just palms up. God, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll say what you want me to say. My life is not my own. I lost my rights when I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. It's yours. As Paul would say, to, 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 to live is gain, and I mean, to, to, to live as Christ and to die is gain. I, there is no downside to this. As I was researching JW's life, I came across a, a story that I'd never heard before, but it was his mother in the small Arkansas town in a mission service. Probably not too indifferent than this. Probably wasn't air conditioning and hard wooden pews. It wasn't quite the sound system that we have today and all the technology. And the missionary came and presented. And uh, she had nothing to give. And she was holding young JW and she began to weep. And she said, Lord, I have nothing. If I had something, I would give it. But I don't have anything. But this son that you've given me, I dedicate him to you. Much like Hannah did to Samuel when she took him to Shiloh, to the house of Eli. And she said, for this son I have prayed, and God, you've answered what I prayed, now I give him back to you. The one that would, would anoint the first king of Israel and would speak life into David. That's Samuel. So there in that small country service, holding young JW, I give him to you. Not really realizing that in 1964, he would truly give everything at the age of 49. Leave his wife a widow with three kids. Let's talk about the rest of the story for J.W. J.W. was beaten to death there in the Congo and was driven about 65 kilometers to throw his body into what's called the Bomakandi River. They did this because they wanted to destroy the evidence by the crocodiles that were infested there. And the people in that area had a tradition. And one of the young converts from the many years that J.W. and his wife Angeline had spent there in the Congo went to the tribal leader, to the chief, and said, the tradition of our people says that whoever's body is spilt and flows into the Bomakandi River his story must be heard. On the precipice of that, this disciple was able to share Jesus Christ, the story of J.W. Tucker, freely along the Bomakandi River, which in 1964, missiologists tell us, resulted in almost 5,100 people coming to faith in Christ just from his death. Today, Directly connected to that, missiologists tell us there's around 66 churches and villages all along that particular river of the Congo. Missiologists have also gone on to connect the story through the lives of the, of the pastors and the churches and the people that around 600,000 people have come to faith in Christ going all the way back to this incident. The first church that J.W. Tucker planted along the Bomakandi River now has birthed 200 churches since his death. One of these pastors says, we shed many tears in the time my brother Tucker was killed, but now his death has brought a maturity and a resilience to the church. His wife, Angeline, returned from the Congo to the U.S. right after her husband's death. She was met on the ground by media crews. And in an interview published in the New York Times, 
She quotes John 12, 24. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Little did she know that she would get to see the scripture fulfilled through her life and the death of her husband. When we see a need and respond, God always multiplies our efforts. Today, I want to talk about an opportunity. Because one man was willing to go and give his life to share the gospel of Jesus Christ that you and I have. I found out about this about six months ago. When I heard of this opportunity and heard of this situation, I said, not just to myself, but to the people that were there, Ryan, our executive pastor, and myself were at a breakfast with Jeff Dove of Life Publishers, who publishes the Fire Bible, and Brian Campbell, who works with Fire Bible. We've got to be a part of this. I've heard this man's story since I was in middle school. 43 years today, later, the Congo is still one of the most dangerous places on the earth. It's a large nation. It's bigger than California, Colorado, Montana, New Mexico, Oregon, and Texas. That's right, I said Texas. God bless Texas. Combined. 63 million people call the Congo home. It's been devastated by war for decades. Between 1988 and 2004, it's estimated that 4 million people died from war. 38,000 people die every month. 1,250 people die every day. Time magazine uh, described it this way. Here's the cover of the article uh, of the magazine, and here's a quote from the article. The country is plagued by bad sanitation, disease, malnutrition, and dislocation. Routine and treatable illnesses have become weapons of mass destruction. In many aspects, the country remains as broken, volatile, and dangerous as ever, which is to say, among the very worst places on the earth. The task is, is enormous. Over the past year, Time has, has reporters who have visited the worst hit areas in, in the east of the country, found most of it in ruins. Roads and railway lines have washed away or simply disappeared into the jungles. The hospitals and health clinics have been destroyed. Electricity for those lucky enough to receive it is patchy. Refugees fleeing and fighting government troops and rebels talk of beheading, rapes, massacres, torching villages, and, and the dying continues. For many of the Congolese, every day seems like a fight for survival. It can take from four to five, excuse me, it can take from 50 days to, uh, from five days to 50 days to travel by miles on, excuse me, it can take five days to travel 50 miles by road. Can the Congo be saved? And this is Time Magazine. Maybe it can, but it can't save itself. If the country has any hope of escaping the cycle of violence, misrule, despair, it will need the philanthropy and the mercy of governments and citizens all across the globe. The Congo has been, place, has been a place of, Congo, of, of, of conflict for generations. The last 10 years, rebel militia groups have systematically destroyed Bibles in the country. Let me repeat that again. Over the last decade, rebel militia groups have systematically destroyed Bibles whenever they find them all throughout the country. Many of our pastors that are in this area only have a few handwritten portions of scripture. This happens from time to time. We found this in Russia when communism fell in the 80s. And you got in and you found that they were taking bits and pieces of the Bible handwritten. And that's how the pastors were doing the underground church. You find this also in China. Not the church that's published, but the underground church. 
In one province, there's 250 pastors, listen to this, and they have only have 58 have a Bible. So 200 of the pastors don't even have a copy of God's word. In another province, there's 111 evangelists and pastors. They only have one Bible. It means they're passing it around. They're writing it and transcribing it. They're preaching. In another province, there's 6.8 million people and they only have five trained pastors. So we have an opportunity today. Fire Bible, Life Publishers produces what's called the Fire Bible. You can pick this up at the, at the Resource Center at any one of our campuses. It's, if you, people ask me, hey, what study Bible should I get? This is it. Because it's not just a copy of God's word. It is, it's all the notes. It's all the cross-referencing. It's everything. If you buy this today, it's $48. That's what it costs in America to do this. But Fire Bible... Life publishers have already done the work and translated this into the Lingali language, which is what's spoken by the Congolese people. This is what I discovered six months ago. All of the work of the translation is done. What they are needing is the cost to print these Bibles and to get them to the pastors. You can imagine where I was. So what does that cost? I'm so glad you asked that question. In America, this Bible costs 48 bucks. To be able to print it, a copy of God's word, this right here in the Congolese and Lingali language for the Congolese people is $18. They feel like they need 10,000 Bibles to meet the need because you've got so many pastors that don't have a copy of God's word, much less the people there. So that's 10,000 Bibles. That's $180,000. Then you've got to ship it. And shipping is not as simple as like, hey, let's just call FedEx and find out. No, no, no. Did I tell you that it's a corrupt area of the world? So in order to get in, anytime you do this type of work, there's typically money that has to be exchanged in order to get it to pass customs so that it gets where it needs to go. And unfortunately, you and I can't get on a 747 and go and give this Bible we probably will never be able to see these Bibles distributed. Maybe, but probably not. So it's about $70,000 in shipping. So that means this project is $250,000. That's a lot of money. Yes, it is. What I'm asking you today is to prayerfully consider what you would do to be a part of this. When I sat there and I heard of the situation how can I see my brother in need and not doing something about it? This is what people are giving their lives for. This is what's being burned right now. This is what's being taken right now. This won't make it. This won't make it on the news. They won't do prime time on this for all the news outlets and all the cable media outlets on Tuesday night. The people are dying for this. The thing that you and I can walk right out, swipe a credit card, write a check, and get so easily. The thing that we might have even forgotten, I'm not in your business this morning, and just left it at home. The thing that we may have more of than we can count is the thing that these brothers need and this church needs so desperately. So today, I'm just simply giving you an opportunity.
What do you want me to do, Aaron? I want you to prayerfully consider what are you supposed to do, whether you're online or whether you're at a campus, wherever you may be. And so today, if you, if you could say, man, I could do a Bible, that's 18 bucks, awesome. Maybe you do one for every person in your family. If you got a family of five, that's $90. If you have a hard time with math, just round it up to 20. We'll make sure it works, amen? A pallet of Bibles, of 500 Bibles is $9,000. For some of you, the question isn't, do I do one Bible or a Bible for my family? But I can do a pallet. How many pallets do you want to do? As I was prayerfully considering about this today, that $70,000 in shipping is pretty astronomical. And it's pretty easy to get people to give money for Bibles, but, but it's a hard time to get people to give money for shipping. But there may be a business person that you're looking for an opportunity. Maybe you would say, Pastor, if you can get these 10,000 Bibles, I'll ship them. I'll make sure they get there. You go, you're crazy, Aaron. We've already established this a long time ago, right? And this is not news. But here's what I know. Here's what I know. Is that this is the need that we have before us. The translation work's been done. Hundreds of thousands of dollars into the Lingali language. It's all been done. And we've got brothers and sisters that are in need. And this is what it means to get this across the line. There's going to come a day I'm going to want to say, let's take on a translation of a people group. And you'll wish I was just going for a quarter of a million at that point. Because that's around five hundred to $600,000. That's all been done. We just, need to print the, we just need to pay for the printing and the shipping. And they'll get there. I'm going to pray right now before you do anything. I'm going to pray. And then... When I say amen, at, at every campus, it's going to go back to the campus pastor and they're going to give you instructions on how you can give and what you can do today. Everybody can do something. Nothing that's given stays here. None of it. Doesn't go for overhead costs for your campus. Doesn't go for salaries. Doesn't go for anything. There's nothing. All of it. All of it goes for this project. Father, I thank you today. I thank you today for... The calling of God is without repentance. It's that call that gets us up in the morning and puts us to bed at night. It's that call that says, I'm not looking for success or fame or fortune, but I want to do what you're asking me to do. It's the same Holy Spirit that spoke to young J.W. Tucker in his early teens in Russellville, Arkansas, of a young man who was willing to give his life, not just he, but he and his wife. Not just one term, but five terms, 25 years. And a part of the world that is beyond our understanding from a a Western culture mindset to understand how absolutely difficult it is, even today. Father, I don't understand why and how martyrs and, and things of this nature happen, but I do know, Lord, that our lives are never in vain. And whether we're talking about any of the apostles in the New Testament 
or we're talking about J.W. Tucker or Jim Elliott or any other missionary that's given their life on, the, on foreign soil for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Lord, I, I'm just speechless. So Holy Spirit, I say, what can I do? I can serve today. I can love you and love my family and, and do what you've called me to do here today. But Father, with the resources that you've given me, what can I do? Holy Spirit, speak to my heart. Speak to all of our hearts about what we can do. God, put your super onto our natural today and help us to be able to accomplish this task that just seems crazy beyond our ability. God, I pray today for 10,000 Bibles to be funded. I pray for $70,000 worth of shipping costs that I hate to pay, but that is the cost of doing business to get these books, your word into these pastors and people's hands. And bless this church, bless these people for their sacrifice today. In Jesus' name, amen.